Six nations and six amazing chances to win an unforgettable adventure for you and five mates in a Six Nations European host city of your choice. To take part, enter online now at greenking.co.uk slash rugby. Six nations, six mates and six international rugby getaways worth £3,000. Scrum down and sign up to win at greenking.co.uk slash rugby and watch all the Six Nations action live at your local Green King pub. Terms and conditions apply 18 plus drinkaware.co.uk. Hi, it's Alfie here, the presenter of The Ruck. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to tell you about Funding Circle. And to do that, British and Irish Lions, Saracens and England hooker Jamie George is alongside me. How are you, Jamie? All good, mate. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's good to have you with us uh, for The Ruck. Now, Funding Circle backs small and medium UK businesses with simple, competitive business finance. And Jamie is a Funding Circle ambassador because, Jamie, not only are you day-to-day a professional athlete, but you're also a business owner as well. Yeah, yeah. I uh, set up a business with a good school friend of mine about six years ago called Carter & George. Um, we're a physio business that effectively tries to deliver the same level of elite care that I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. So the link between physiotherapy and strength and conditioning and rehabilitation, etc. I've been looking for a physio. so I know a good place. I'll get your card after. Funding Circle has supported over 90,000 British businesses with £12 billion in finance since 2010. So, Jamie, simply, how have Funding Circle helped you? Well, obviously, they've got an amazing um, financial product. So um, our most recent venture is, is trying to grow the business as quickly as we can. We've got five clinics now and we're looking to push on. And obviously, we wouldn't have been able to do that without the help of a funding circle and um, the financial support that they were able to give us. So if you're looking to overcome challenges or push your business forward, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. So France have faltered and England in line to add the Six Nations title to the Triple Crown following their win over Wales. But there's so much more to talk about, not least when will the last round of matches, even if they will take place, when will they take place? What did you make of uh, Joe Marler's tackle tickle? Was it right for Manu Tuilangi to see red? And what about the future of Eddie Jones after he admits there will be talks with the RFU in a couple of weeks? I'm Lawrence Delalio, and to provide all the answers, I'm joined by the Times top team of Owen Slot and Alex Lowe. Gentlemen, Hello. good morning. Hello. How, How are you both? Uh, very well, thank you, Lawrence. Excellent, well. excellent. How are We're... you still with us? Lawrence is on a new diet. Yeah, he was I'm, just telling I'm, us. I'm doing intermittent fasting at the moment. Is I'm not sure if it's a good idea or not. But well, you so ten pints on, no pints off. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't seem to have wasted away quite yet, Lawrence. No, so I, no. I don't know how much no, waste. I, I think it's a bad idea when I'm not eating, and I think it's a really good idea when I am. But uh, no, I'm, I'm giving it a go. I'm, I'm, you know, is that why you weren't here last week? You can drag yourself out of bed. <laughs> it's probably twelve years too late. I don't know why I didn't do this fasting when I was actually playing. But Lawrence, uh, you're half the man you used to yeah, be. <laughs> there we are. In more ways, England were uh, good value at the weekend. I thought England thirty-three, Wales thirty. It's got a strange old look to it. That scoreline, isn't it? Because certainly didn't um, reflect the game. I don't think. But England deserved winners, despite a uh, a final ten minutes of. Uh, of playing with 13 men. Let's just go straight to the, the decisions. I mean, it's a difficult game to referee, I suppose, but 
did the referee get the decisions right? I was working for ITV, and, and actually, as soon as I saw the tackle happen, I, I said straight away that he's going to be in trouble here because you could see that George North sort of mm. was lying prone mm. on the floor. And actually, when I saw the first two angles, I gave him the benefit of the doubt. Um, I thought, oh, that's maybe a yellow card. But that, when you saw the third angle, which was you know the obvious one, you realised that not only did he hit him in the head, whether he meant to or not, but actually, thankfully, he only glanced George North and didn't, didn't yeah. actually catch him full on. So I just think it's one of those that there was no malice necessarily, but you've got a responsibility to, to tackle and get your body height lower, I guess, when you're coming across. That's well, well, that. I think one of the key things is that there was clearly no intent, but yeah. intent is no longer a consideration mm. for the officials. It's The new framework is fact-based. Mm. And when you look at... The the only mitigation I, I thought live was the fact that he was dipping. But when you look at the directives, I think that's cancelled out by the fact that Manu should have had a clear view that that was going to happen. The fact he didn't was because he had his he was leading with his shoulder, his yeah. right arm was tucked in, and he was, he was hurtling himself at George North. There was no intent ever to make a legal tackle. Yeah. And so therefore, I don't think there was any option but to show a red card. Yeah, agreed. I think Manu r- responded as if he knew that he was going to get a red. He, he didn't object. He didn't look like he was hard done by. He apologised immediately. Yeah. I, I mean, again, I it's one of those ones that's very, very public in front of 7 million uh, whatever TV viewers. It's... It's almost good that people see that you can't do that, and people yeah. learn. And and and, and, that, that uh, and, and it, Ben Young said afterwards exactly the same. He said, "I've got no qualms with that red card. Manu's yeah. got no qualms with it. Yeah. He, we know it was wrong." Which he said downstairs at Twickenham, and while upstairs, Eddie Jones was ranting yeah. and raving about what a ridiculous decision it yeah, was. Yeah, I mean, yes, I, I think that the shame for Manu Tuolangi is he actually had another very very productive game for England. Yeah. I thought in particular in the first half, he was he, he was a strong ball carrier and played very well. And it was a bit of a blemish on what was a a, a good performance it was yeah. a it was a blemish but but uh, I, I think we it seems like we're all slightly agreeing that we we slightly empathize with him because as you say there was no malice there was no intent he he, he made a, he made a mistake he put his hand up so sorry he got yeah. and he got a, a big punishment yeah. for it i mean it was in the 74th yeah. minute so it didn't well, i mean it nearly yeah. it nearly did although, although, seriously although I, do, the, uh, I, do, I can't quite work out how players throw themselves without well i mean why don't you just m- Go with your arms. I mean, you know, the, the, there was already a chop tackle in, in progress. I don't think George North would have scored anyway. So, so my um, question, Lawrence, and is... I don't understand if you, you know, you just just when you're cover tackling, and I've done it quite a bit, just lead with your arms. I mean, is that not what you're taught to do? Well, yeah, I, I always lead with my arms. <laughs> <laughs> I don't quite know what Eddie was. Eddie's argument was yeah. on that. He, he said it was never red card because Manu was just going in to kill the tackle. But he went in and. You know, clocked George North's head with his shoulder. Well, I, mean, I, th- I think what Eddie hasn't done just... is he hasn't necessarily read the directives because if yeah. you read the directives, you know, there's, you know, mitigation is not is not there. Yeah. Even if a player is falling, the referee was very clear. He said there's no mitigation there. You know, this is it's facts now. But and... what does it say about England rugby? If or what does it say about rugby? What message is if the England coach, the highest profile bloke in the game in this yeah. country? Is 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 doing that after a game? I mean, mm. one one it was unnecessary, and two I haven't seen anyone who agrees with anything Would he you said. Remember the uproar at the World Cup when Michael Checker took exactly the same stance, and there wasn't even a red card for Reese Hodge uh, in in the Fiji game, but that was a, that should have been a red at the time. He got a three week three game ban afterwards, mm. and Checker was ranting and raving about that, and it was a nailed on red card. Um, just moving to the other incident, Alex. Well, what do we make of the uh, Joe Marler incident? And uh, looks like he might end up. You know, getting quite a long ban. Uh, I mean, just for what it's worth. I, I, I mean, obviously, there's no place for that. I think he, he, you know, 
whether it was a bit of humour to try and break up of um, you know a bit of a scuffle. It, you can't do those sorts of things, uh, whether you know whether it's fun or not. Was um, it just provocation? Was he not yeah, trying to get a ride? Yes. And... Although you know, listen, there's different ways of provocation, isn't there? And Alan Wynne Jones was certainly uh, guilty of provocation. Uh, to Carl Sinclair in the fixture last year. So uh, it just didn't do it in perhaps the same way as Joe Marler. And I, I'm not condoning what Joe Marler did, but I have to say I was surprised by the reaction of Adam Wynne-Jones post-match. They're both Lions. One one was his captain, one was a player. Clearly they, they didn't get on that well because you don't throw a player under the bus in the, in the way that Adam Wynne-Jones has after the game uh, by the comments because... You know, he's one of the most respected, quite rightly, one of the most respected men in world rugby, Alan Wynne-Jones. And what he said has made has set the tone now for the disciplinary hearing for Joe Marler. And I would be very, very surprised if he doesn't now not get a lengthy, lengthy ban. And uh, and I don't, you know, I mean, it'd be interesting to see, you know, what happens at the back of it. I'm not, as I said, I'm not condoning it. But equally, um, Alan Wynne-Jones spoke like a man who's lost three games on the trot was disappointed with his, his his own team's performance and I just didn't expect him to throw, to throw Joe Marler under the bus to, quite to get that, that way. To get that long ban, so, that's, so the, the laws say that to get a 12-week ban, you grab, twist or squeeze the, the opponent's testicles. Rather than cup or tickle. Well, it was just, you know, it was a very friendly affair, wasn't it, in that respect? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would just love to be in that in that judiciary panel when they're discussing, you know, does Alan Wynn have to go in and say exactly how much, you know, what he felt and how tickly it was or whether it was a bit squeezy or a bit twisty yeah. or... But, I mean, going back to your point, it's provocation. It's got to be provocation but, rather. It's not funny, but is it's it? I mean, no, it's not funny, but there's also different ways of provocating. And as I said, all players are guilty of it, you know, in, in different ways. And... Uh, you know, we've seen it with the uh, likes of Ellis Genge being targeted. We've seen it with the likes of Carl Sinclair being targeted. I'm not sure you're ever going to get provocation out of, out of Alan Wynne Jones. He's a he's a fairly calm individual on the on the rugby field and and handled, if I can use that word, that situation rather well. I thought. I think Joe Marler, um, one of our colleagues, spotted in, in the Harlequins documentary that the BBC made. There's a scene in it when Harlequins are in their change room celebrating a victory. Alex Dombrant's on the table, having beer sprayed all over him. And then up to him walks Joe Marler, who gives, gives him the same greeting that he gave to Alan Wynne-Jones. It's, it's clearly something that Joe does to get a rise, to be funny. I just think it was inappropriate on a test rugby field. I don't think the the regulations were written for that specific incident, as exactly. we said. Exactly, yeah, that's the point. They were, that's the point. They're, they're they were not, written for, not, an, for an aggressive act. Yeah. I mean, um, the extra Chiefs, um, you know, the, there's... The extra Chiefs players seem to sort of yeah. greet their own players with that every time they score and a try. There, there so, has uh, been, it has provoked a, a level of, of hysteria in some in some mm. quarters. Um, more, more more than the punch that was thrown by the, by the, the French tight head who, yeah. uh, who was uh, sent off. And it'd be interesting to see, uh, you know, the disciplinary hearings in both. Ra- you know, raising uh, questions about you know, how, what would your boss say if you did that to him in your office? And, and, and those comparisons aren't helpful because... A rugby environment, a rugby field, a rugby club does have is a different environment to to an office. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Joe Marler moving forward because I, I would probably imagine that Ellis Genge was in line to win his first start. Is it his first start for England um, again? No, well, he, no, has, he has started. He has started, but, but, but he, he certainly would, in my mind, start against Italy. Yeah. Uh, you know, even though Joe Marler's been playing outstandingly well, you know, he may well end up with a ban and. Having got himself back into international rugby and playing superbly, he may, he may well decide that enough is enough. There was a sense over the weekend that this could be, this could be it for Joe Marler mm. as an England player, and which I I feel this incident aside, I'd be 
disappointed and and surprised if he made that call because mm. I think he's he's worked himself into a position where he's England's first choice loose head prop. Yeah. Ellis Genge might well start against Italy, but that says more about the opposition mm. than it, than it does about about the hierarchy of of England loose heads. Yeah. And he's you know twenty five grand a week on the table <laughs> to be England's starting <clears throat> loose head prop. He wants to win something. Um, I'd be disappointed if, if he called it a day, particularly if it was anything related to, to, yeah. to what happened. Looks like another player that might have called it a day, particularly at Twickenham, is George Cruz. Because certainly yeah. by the way he left the field, you know, with a bit of a wave to the crowd, the rumours about him accepting that, that rather lucrative contract in Japan and with everything that's going on at Saracens may well be true. Do you th- think people won't realise how important he is until he's in Japan and not playing for England? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Although, you know, in, in many ways it, it might... Um, it might change the picture in the back row, which is no bad thing. Yeah. You know, you've got Courtney Law's world-class player, again, magnificent on Saturday. Uh, Joe Launchbury, you know, looked pretty effective when he came on. Charlie Yules, I think there's there's so many good second rows. Mm. Maybe not quite at the level of Cruz, but but certainly can get there for sure. And then it'll change the uh, the, the dynamic of who's selecting the back row. Well, Just- I, I talked to um, Cruz after the game. And, and was saying, you know, when you were waving, it looked like you were waving goodbye. And he he's obviously not in a position where he can confirm what his plans are. But 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 the way he was talking, I, I, he he was sort of suggesting that that maybe he could still that maybe there was a way of playing for England, and he could still get some uh, get that nice Japan contract at the same time. Yeah, but I mean, listen, I'm there's... not sure how you would juggle that because we all know what the what that sort of rule is. With, with well, I England, think you but... juggle it by going to Japan for a year and then coming back again and then fighting for your place again. Haskell's done it. Yeah, there's one or two players yeah. that. Uh... But Haskell Haskell was quite young when he left, wasn't he? So Haskell sort of went on a development sort of mm. year off, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, one man who is certainly not retiring at the moment, or is he, is Eddie Jones. He claimed that it was 16 v 13 by the end of the game, which, uh, well, we can talk about that. But uh, also, could this be the end of the Eddie Jones era, or is it the start of a new Eddie Jones era? The, uh, Owen, you've, uh, you've ran the piece on the back of the Times. Jones in talks over future England head coach to meet the RFU Chiefs. He said something, Alex, on uh, Saturday night that... He was keeping the Triple Crown trophy and he wasn't going to give it to the RFU until they, until they brought him to the table. Well, I mean, that's the kind of veiled, the veiled kind of... Uh... He, he, said he, he said he'd be taking the Triple Crown shield to um, uh, plate to dinner with, with uh, Bill Sweeney, uh, presumably as a way of persuading the chief executive to give him a new deal. I, that was the... Um, the inference. I'm not sure that bringing a triple calling. crown is going to be quite the deciding. Look, look what I've yeah. got. Oh, I mean, let's <laughs> no, just talk about because, this. Because a World Cup or a Grand Slam might have done just, it. Just quickly, because when Bill Sweeney, the CEO of the RFU, took over, he he England were on the verge of winning the World Cup, and he was got very excited and, and yeah. said that you know he wanted to uh, secure Eddie Jones for another four years. Since then, he sort of backtracked slightly, and after England lost the Rugby World Cup final, and said that uh, you know that, that that maybe that's not necessarily the move, and then it's probably gone a bit quiet. And Eddie Jones, understandably, is getting a bit frustrated because he doesn't know where, you know, what, what, it, what, what the future lies, really. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's very good for anyone having uncertainty in, in that position. I don't think it's very good for the players. They want to know what they're playing for. And um, I, I don't think it's that good for the development of the team because we don't know, what, is Eddie playing for this year or next year? Or has he got, you know, to what extent has he got a, a long-term four-year plan that he's operating on? But Razi Erasmus has shown uh, everyone, and that South is, Africa have shown that everyone, that, true, yes. that the World Cup is not a four-year cycle, necessarily. 
although it's often the best way to approach it. Uh, but I think that's probably changed Bill Sweeney's thinking. And, and if they are going to make a change, then you can still make a change after two years and, and, and have an impact, I guess. But uh, the, the, the what weird, works for South Africa may not work for England. The weird thing about this is that it's been a topic of conversation since Eddie won the Grand Slam in his first year. And then uh, all because, and it's unsurprisingly, the RFU's communications about it have been a complete shambles. Mm. Like They gave him the deal... At, uh, in 2016, and and explicitly said that he would be bringing through the next coach yeah. who take take over after the next World Cup. So they created the the, the 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 situation. Then they gave Eddie an extension because they didn't have anyone in place to take over after the next World Cup. So then, on the day after the final, Bill Sweeney says, "You've got to look at this as a four year thing. You know, it would make perfect sense to give him a deal through to 2023." A month later. He says, well, actually, Razi Rasmus won it in two years, so that's not... like we, No other country has had a running commentary on the future of the of their national coach, apart from England, and all because the RFU keep changing their mind about what they're going to do. Well, I suppose if you're not going to give someone a deal, and there's, I'm not here suggesting that they shouldn't, but if you're not going to, you do need something in place for what you are going to do. As, as I understand it, in, you know, England haven't been speaking or seeking out any, any other... Succession uh, planning succession. has not been a strength Well, it, well, Succession planning has never been a strength for English rugby, no. Uh, no, which is why not, we won one Six really Nations title in 12 years post-Rugby World Cup, which, quite frankly, is a, a disgrace. OK, so here's, here's one way of looking at the, the Eddie thing. is So what you're asking is, is... For me, there's two questions. One is... Do you think that that he can take that team and be successful at the World Cup? So the way way where things are at the moment, I would say bit bit black and white. I'd say probably yes. I think the team did well at the World Cup, messed up at the end, but seems to be moving on still. And you can see the development in it. You can see how it gets stronger. And I think the players still really like playing for him. So I would say on the whole, yes. So would you say would you therefore not keep on Eddie Jones? because of all the nonsense and the drama and the pantomime that, that goes with it and that often doesn't paint rugby and England rugby in a good light. I, I would agree with you. I would say, you know, give him a new, give him a new deal till the World Cup, but start planning now for who's going to take over post-World Cup as well. And I don't think, you know, you sit down with him and say, we're going to do that, uh, just so you're clear, because it's not going to be you, whether you win it or, or not. And we, we would like to, you know, start planning that now because you can't suddenly find these guys to take over yeah. overnight you know two years is about the right time to plan it so you know, you, in, you in my mind they've got so one that, decision so that, to make yeah. do they want Warren Gatland to take over after the Lions tour or do they want Eddie Jones to stay on to the World Cup and they make that decision now and then make that appointment now would you chase Gatland now would you be on the on the plane to New Zealand saying I'd be I'd want to talk to him yeah absolutely absolutely I'd want to talk to him yeah, and if not him, then you know it's it's Eddie Jones's uh, job for sure. Yeah, but I would still be speaking to people uh, now for the for two years time because I don't think you can start having those conversations. But be very open and honest with with Eddie about it. You've got to start thinking about the future. Can't suddenly get to six months before the World Cup in in Paris and say, oh, who's going to coach England after the World Cup? It, it, life doesn't work like that. And, and, and Lawrence, and therefore... what do you, what do you think of someone who knows? Warren Gatlin pretty well. <clears throat> he's doing the Lions, yeah, mm. and then he's contracted for another year with the Chiefs after that. So really, you'd say he's in he's in Polish position for yeah, the next although, although... All Blacks job. So would would he would he would he compromise his All Black future mm. 
if he really wants <clears> that for for a dabble with England. Than I think a, a it World depends Cup. on what Truly Gatlin wants, really, rather than what Warren Gatlin wants, <laughs> like it does with most people. <laughs> I think uh, she spent a lot of time travelling the world. Uh, you know, Warren's now back in New Zealand with the Waikato Chiefs. He's going to do yeah, the Lions job. He lives at home. Uh, he lives yeah. at home. Yeah. He's spending more time with his family, uh, which he hasn't done over the you know number of years. I'd be surprised, having already said no to England, having said that he won't coach England to you know to the to the Welsh public. I would be surprised if he does. If you look at the track record of most Welsh coaches, Graham Henry, coach Wales, uh, Steve Hansen, coach Wales, Warren Gatland, yeah. coach Wales, what they've done is they've gone back and they've had a the shot coach, at uh, coaching uh, the All Blacks. I'd, I'd be surprised too, but I I'm just saying if if I was the RFU, I think that's a good shout. They've got two choices here. I think they either give Eddie the extension and and end this conversation, and and the only for me the only the only viable alternative mm. is Warren Gatland. Particularly, yeah. I mean, Razi Rasmus would have been an interesting yeah. conversation, but he's just signed a, a new contract, which probably has a few zeros, I, I zeros think, put on it. After I think the people's estimations of Warren Gatland, particularly in New Zealand, would have changed after the Lions tour to New Zealand yeah. because what he had to deal with yeah. and what, how he coped with that situation. I think he came out of that tour. Uh, back home with enormous credit. Uh, he's also already sort of re- earning rave reviews as the Chiefs coach. Yeah, he's he? doing well. So yeah, I'll be surprised if they do that. But uh, do you have Trudy Gatlin's number? Maybe we could give her a <laughs> ring and ask, uh, settle this whole debate here and now. Well, I, mean, you I know, bet you do. All I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, these decisions are not are not just based on what one person wants, are they? They're they're based on what uh, the wife wants generally. Happy wife, happy life. That's, um, that's the way it works. Thanks for that life tip, Lawrence. I'll, well, as you know, I'll go wife, home and try and put it into action. It's your wife's Never thought of it today. like that. Yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> what do we think about Wales? Because they they've lost three games now. Lots of different ideas. They've got Sam Warburton in there with as a, mm. as a breakdown coach. They're clearly. Clearly missing Sean Edwards. Yeah. You, you can't, you, you know, you, you can't not say that, and that's quite understandable. Other coaches are coming in trying to put their kind of ideas and, and personality to the fore, and also that they've had their tough games. Away, you know, they've had tough games away from home. Ireland was always going to be a struggle after what they did to them last year, and I think England at Twickenham is always tricky for them. So, you know, how do we, how do we assess? Well, did they get their team selection right? Did they get their tactics right? Not dissimilar to how they played against Australia. They knew what Wales were going to do. They've, Wales are setting out their stall to evolve the way they want to play. You see the number of times they, they were running it from deep. Talk about team selection, I thought the recruitment of Nick Tompkins has been one of their the highlights of, of this championship because yeah. he, he was superb. I was very close to naming him man of the match or he, player he of superb, the match. I, yeah. was, I just couldn't was quite really good. I just couldn't quite bring myself yeah. to do that <laughs> when um, England uh, were, were comfortable winners really. I, I, we, we can see I mean, I think Eddie Jones was actually quite generous towards them after the game and, and I thought he was right. We can see what Wayne Peeve actually is trying to evolve the team into, into becoming. I couldn't help feel but watch them and think that they would if they could evolve that attacking game with Sean Edwards still running the defence, mm-hmm. they'd have been in a much better, much stronger place to do it. They they just they're they're in a transition at the moment. Um, I think as Eddie pointed out, eight hundred odd caps. There are there are going to be players that are have to come through. They're they're trying. Pivac is trying to change the way they play, and it's very hard to do that overnight. I mean, it's easier to install a discipline mm-hmm. as Sean. Ed- it's easier to do what Sean Edwards has done with France than what Wayne Pugh actually is trying to do with Wales. Yeah. It, that takes longer. I've not been a defence coach for a while, to be honest with you. Um, but, 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 but So my question on, the, on this Wales thing is, is, it's been amazing how you take Sean Edwards out of that equation and, and the change there is. Yeah. So... Well, the change, so, the change is, uh, uh, well, basically, Sean Edwards was, was all about a blitz defence, rush defence, yeah. from out to in, 
and um, trying to turn the, the, the England runners back on the inside. And, and also, they attacked the breakdown a lot more. If you look at, maybe it was a personnel thing, but when you had Sam Warburton, when you had um, you know, a number of other Tipperick, you know, they, they got a lot more turnovers against England. So what, what so they're not doing with Byron Haywood, they're, they're not doing that out-to-in defence. It's a slight change. They're, they're, they're allowing England the, the, uh, the opportunity to get the ball with a bit more width and, uh, and attacking them out wide. So, so, so that's what I'm saying. So, so you, you take Sean Edwards out and you put him into France and you say, OK, you can, immediate, you can see that he's made an immediate impact on, impact on France. But when you take him out of Wales, given that we know how, what, what impact and how successful he was, why would you change so much of what he did? If you're the incoming defence coach, I, I can understand making decisions about what tackle, what uh, ruck ball you're going you're, you're to challenge and what you're not. But 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 that that fast blitz defence, why would you toy with it? Would you not just say that's our template and we and we don't want to change it? Yeah, I think personally, you, you you make changes, but you do it over a longer period of time. I think it's quite difficult to make change. Well, if you make changes immediately, you're going to have the results you have because there's going to be mistakes, there's going to be misreads, hmm. there's going to be you know, which is what happened at the weekend, you're going to get mistakes being made. So, yeah, I, I do understand that. But, you know, new people want to put their stamp on things. Sam Warburton, there's no doubt he has a lot of value to add to that team. Definitely. But clearly he's getting his players to to be a bit more selective about the breakdowns that they try and uh, go in yeah. and, and, and attack, which is why Wales didn't actually have that much success there at the weekend. So, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, changing change for the sake of change is, is unimportant. You've got to remember they are missing their defensive captain, Jonathan Davis. So I think is massively important to Sean Edwards and to what Wales did last season. So, uh, well, I think that's one thing we've have learned about Wales is is that they they don't really have a strength and depth that can match yeah. England. I mean, you, you take Jonathan Davis out and, and they look mm. uh, fallible. I think their front row is a development thing, whereas England just seem to have you know a, a new prop ready to go all the time, don't they? Well, listen, Sunday Times rugby correspondent and, of course, ruck regular Stephen Jones can't be with us today, but uh, he has sent us his thoughts on Saturday's game and what next for Wales. Hi, Lawrence. Hi, guys. I'm sorry I can't be with you today. I'm on a top-secret mission. Indeed, it's so secret that I don't know what it is. There's no question whatsoever in my mind that England will win the title now. I'm sure you agree. Amazing, perhaps, when you consider how average they were in Paris at the start. And, in fact, probably proof that there are no great sides this year. Uh, England may end the best of the bunch and are finishing stronger, but we've all seen a host of better England teams as well. They look to be giving half a great performance all the time, but... Never much more than that, although at the moment, way out ahead of the others. And Wales, Italy, Scotland, Ireland all look like transitional teams after a World Cup and actually transitioning quite slowly. It's possible that Wales have dropped off the most. What disturbed me a little was the way that they were set up to play and the way they played. They didn't pick their biggest and hardest pack, which is surely a prerequisite. To leave out uh, Tolupi Falatau and Gareth Davis for the occasion, just unfathomable for me. And Thomas Williams at Scrum Half, for instance, is a is a lovely player. But really, in international rugby these days, you need the hard nuts, you need you need the physicality. And Gareth Davis is certainly a physical player and the best for uh, the bunch in Wales. Uh, Jonathan Davis said that Wales tried to play expansive rugby, regardless of the quality of ball they got, which is quite true. 
and the first half uh, alone, they looked like a small schoolboy team playing touch rugby, popping the passes along the line and really ending up crunched in the jaws of the England defence, which was excellent. And it was Eddie Ball in full, uncompromising form, driving the ball up, strong in the set piece, relentless on the defensive line and on the attacking line, take your chances, kick your goals, win the game. And in fact, they did win it by more than the final score suggests. There's no doubt about that. On Saturday against Scotland, Faletau must be back. Davies must be back. I think they probably need a big centre and uh, Dan Bigar, uh, the great Dan Bigar, and I'm using the, the word great advisedly, um, deserves better people around him. I just thought he was absolutely fantastic and the man of the match on Saturday. Uh, Wales people should stop looking for a twinkle-toes Phil Bennett. This is the real world, and Dan Bigger is very much in the real world. Elsewhere, Wales were not good enough at prop, and they haven't been for a long time. They're cruelly missing Thomas Francis, of course. And it's time, I think, now to stop uh, playing undersized props. I didn't think either of the Welsh props uh, contributed up front and not around the field, whereas you see people like Carl uh, Sinclair, Joe Mahler, uh, Michael Vanipola, really involved in the rest of the game. And even though I'm never really fond of playing the youth card, I think Rhys Carey and Leon Brown, who did come on as replacements on Saturday, must start against Scotland. They must be put on the fastest of fast tracks because they both have monster size and they both have real ability. Carey will be fine at Saracens because the fast track there is as good as anywhere in world rugby. Leon Brown uh, of the Dragons has been cruelly hampered by injury, but he is a big man. At the moment, his scrimmaging is way underpowered. Wales should consider finding a professor of scrummaging. Wherever there's one free around the world, France, Argentina, Georgia, anywhere, and they should send Brown there for two months or three months uh, to come back like the aggressive uh, monster up front that he can be around the field. But they should even consider playing Carey and Brown against Scotland on Saturday to keep them on that fast track and to get them moving because Wales have a heritage of great forward play. At the moment, I thought uh, Ken Owens looked like he was on his own in the scrum. And finally, for, for Wayne Pivak, they did look like a team playing like Clenethley used to play under Pivak. That is in a weak league, in a totally different context. It will not happen in the international arena. And no pressure on Pivak. He's a decent guy, a very fine coach. He'll work it out. But he was off on the wrong foot, no doubt about it. Biggest rugby tournament of the year is coming to a Green King pub near you. Watch all the unmissable action live as Europe's top six battle it out for glory in the Six Nations tournament. In and out, in and out, for the line! Leave your rivalries at the door and get their team together to watch the Six Nations. Feel the excitement and the buzz of coming together to enjoy matchday food and drink at your nearest Green King sports pub. The Six Nations and Green King. 18 plus, drinkaware.co.uk. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. The Ruck Podcast is proud to be sponsored by Funding Circle and Saracens, British and Irish Lions, and England hooker Jamie George is with me to explain how Funding Circle are supporting small and medium sized UK businesses. Because, Jamie, you, as well as being a rugby player, are also a small business owner. Yeah, I own a business with uh, a good school friend of mine, Reese Carter. It's called Carter and George. We're a physiotherapy business. Uh, we've been up and running for about six years now and sort of our strap line is delivering the same level of care I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. If you're looking to improve different parts of your business or hire talent with extra know-how, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Jamie, you want to do the sign-off for us? Absolutely. Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how I'm growing my business backed by Funding Circle. So let's look at the uh, Scotland games. Scotland 28, France 17. No Grand Slam for the young French team once again let down by that ill discipline. So um, if we excuse the pun, it gives England a fighting chance to pick up the uh, Six Nations title whenever that may well be. And Ireland, of course. They're not to be discounted at this stage. But uh, good performance from Scotland. They they needed that under Gregor Townsend, you felt. They've been under pressure, particularly with uh, Finn Russell outside the squad. And I'm not entirely surprised by, by, the, by the French losing. Um, they didn't quite look at it right from the start of the game. I don't know what it is. I mean, they're still learning, aren't they, really? And, and Ibanez was gracious enough to say, you know, that Scotland deserved to win. And, and this French team, maybe the, maybe the results in the first three rounds have, have made everyone look at them in, perhaps a little bit more praise them a little bit higher than they should have been praised and and, and maybe we shouldn't be quick to criticize them just because they... a sign of just a, of just a young team who can click and look really absolutely brilliant you know on and off but but it takes time to build a team that's strong for every battle that's you know that that knows how to win in different circumstances 100 percent, and it takes time to build a squad because it's not just a team you know mm. Romain and tamac who's been you know the star of the show along with antoine dupont they lose him to concussion early in the game um you know have they got the the ability to you know do what england do and just put george ford in there or, or owen farrell in you know what i mean so yeah, yeah. and dupont i thought was targeted cleverly because he's been a star the scotland sort of you know they put pressure through the breakdown they got to him uh they, they made them make mistakes and, and made them look a bit more flustered and as you say it just it takes time to, to recover them, and, and there is a question Amish mark Watson over their fitness again. as well france and i think um as we saw in the last 10 minutes when Tuolangi got sent off you know, France had to cope with with a whole forty minutes of rugby with fourteen men, yeah. and I'm not sure 
well, one, they, they're able to do that, but also I'm not sure they're fit enough to do that either yet. The thing about international rugby is you get, because there's so few games, you get such little time to get it together and get it to work. I mean, in the, in the club season, you can have these fluctuations and you can have two or three games where it's not going quite so well and then you can bottom out and people aren't saying that it's, it's, a, it's a disaster or it's, it's fantastic. But international rugby, you know, Scotland have been ticking along, not quite, not quite hitting their stride and now they get it right and, and, and actually quite a lot of people are saying how good they've been this, this season and how unlucky they've been. And I just, well, I don't know, it's, it's a, it's a cliche, but margins, you know, a few things click into place and they look quite good. Yeah, and I think it still tells us that it's hard. You know, those away wins, particularly in the Six Nations, are, are a precious commodity, aren't they? If you can go and grind out a win away from home, you know, as France did in Cardiff, um, you know, it's a tough thing to do, as England did up at Murrayfield. No matter how they got there, they got over the line. Not easy winning away from home, particularly. Not easy getting anywhere at the moment with coronavirus. Um, what's the latest, Alex? Yeah, on well, the, uh... It's been a morning of, break, of breaking news on, on the, the France front. Rafael Ibanez, the France team manager just as we've been talking has has claimed that uh Alas were, had been gouged by Nick Haining uh just before he threw his punch um so that's clearly the the, the defense that they're going to be putting forward at the, at the disciplinary hearing and that's on the, Alas, the French prop Alas, the French off. Sent off. no issues with that I mean you know quite why anyone would throw a right hander now is in, in rugby is captured brilliantly by Dave Rogers yeah what a picture uh, wonderful Dave. photo on the back of the times I mean that is um yeah that's fantastic bit of photography. But, Can we uh, have Dave as God of the Week? I know it's a bit early. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. He's, you've gone already. I mean, you, you, are you out the reckoning yourself this week? Then? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm back from my suspension on the back of that. Um, and the other, the other news that's emerging is that it sounds like all matches, all Six Nations matches this coming weekend will be postponed. They're going to play the final round on October the 31st. So Super Saturday will be postponed till October the 31st. Presumably Ireland and Italy will have to be before that, but, but news is just still filtering through, which for England will make it a five-test autumn, and they'll play. They'll go to Italy the week before they play the All Blacks at, at Twickenham. And the way that the um, the results have gone, that there'll be a there'll be a race to the title on that day. Which um, So we will get the the climax to the Six Nations that, that we all wanted just six months later than, than, uh, than was originally planned. Well, as you say, that gives us that exciting climax so that, that this tournament has yeah. sort of in its uncertain way been building to. Yeah, I do think pri- privately the Six Nations officials would have loved Scotland winning yesterday because it it creates a real sense of jeopardy going into that last Yeah, you've got Eng- England top of the table on points difference. You know, France with Ireland um, at home, still everything to play for. And Ireland yeah. themselves, two yeah. games left and they're certainly not out of it. it. So that three-way Super Saturday will just have to be in the autumn, which will be... A little bit strange, really, but uh, this coronavirus could well affect, you know, domestic and European rugby. I mean, there's there's lots to be decided. Travelling is is obviously the key one. You know, we've got European Champions Cup matches not not that far away. Ireland have already cancelled the Italians coming over to Dublin. You know, we've got Leinster against Saracens. You know, yeah. how how does that kind of thing? I guess. You know what we have to remember is it's a, it's a pretty serious issue. There's people dying. How many England fans do you reckon will be in Rome this coming weekend who've bought that, who've bought their weekend? I think away? the Italian situation is a bit different because you know clearly there's 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 a real outbreak of the coronavirus there. But so. Rome's not near Lombardy, is it? No, it's not. I mean, I'm speaking to an Italian when I say that, so you can tell me if yeah. I'm wrong, Lawrence. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it depends what what your age profile is and what and how your immune system no, is. I just, really. I, the word I, Italy is enough to cause a, a bit of panic in people's minds at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, know, I do know some people who bought flights from Stansted 
which were costing over £1,000 for two, but because there's no government advice saying don't go to Rome, they can't get their money back on the flights. Listen, it wouldn't be a ruck podcast without Jones Moans. That wasn't a segue from coronavirus into Stephen Jones, (laughs) although it possibly was. And the great man is worried England's dominance of the women Six Nations is bad for the game after another 10-try romp against Wales at the stoop. One bad result on Saturday, and it was England's win by 60-odd points over Wales in the Women's International in Cardiff. I'm sorry, but that cannot go on. Uh, In a way, it looked like England could have reached 100 had they needed to. No blame on the Welsh girls. They're amateurs. They're too young. Wales always have got this thing of bringing in youth for the future. Well, when you do that, you haven't got a present, and the future tends to fade before your eyes. And I think it's now time to work out that the Six Nations should be disbanded for the women until such time as six teams of equal quality can play. And there are many, many different schemes you can uh, lay in place, put in place to have that desired result. So Stephen Jones, pretty adamant there that there should be a rethink on the women's Six Nations. I mean, it's a familiar argument, particularly with, well, with the women, it's it's Wales that are, that are the problem. With the men, it's Italy that, that are the problem. Um, you know, it's... There's no easy solutions, is there? Because it's such a great tournament. You can't just go back to five. You, you're trying to develop, you know, the likes of Wales in the women's game, Italy in the men's game. Um, you know, do you have promotion and relegation? I don't know. I mean, is there an easy solution that we can think of? I think I think the the, the women's Six Nations is 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 not so set in stone as the men, and I think uh, it, there's clearly two much stronger teams, and I think probably you, you could grasp that nettle and do something with it mm. sooner rather than just, just let it go on because it's the Six Nations. I mean, yes. I think we, we've talked about it before, moving it away from the men's competition so it gets more visibility, which I think would be a great thing. And um, I, mean, I, I don't know what they should do, but the, the other um, really good uh, international team is, is the New Zealand women's team. So could they come up and be part of a, an annual competition and maybe have two tiers? Or something, something like that would work better. Or, do, you, do, you think, do you think Wales struggle resource-wise? So they put, they're putting all their money into the men's game and therefore you know, there's a bit, they need a bit of an olive branch with World Rugby to, to actually fund that, to help them fund the women's game. I don't... Yeah, and I was thinking if, if you couldn't... They seem pretty wedded. The authorities seem pretty wedded to... To women's Six Nations, uh, the chief exec was talking before the tournament began about, as Owen says, about moving it into its own window, getting it a title sponsor, a single, um, maybe an aligned TV deal with the men, so so that everyone knows where where all the matches are on the same channel. Mm. Now, if they can generate funds for it, then that's that's critical. I like the idea of having a sort of a triangular tournament every year with, with the three best teams. I think that would work, but. If, if ultimately you want a women's Six Nations, which which clearly we do, then resources have to be generated somehow to allow Wales and Scotland and, and, and the other nations to, to go professional because yeah. that's the difference. just want to um, switch our attentions to domestic rugby with the Gallagher Premiership. Bristol and <coughs> Sale continue to show us all that they're serious threat this season to Exeter Wasps, you know, post-Die Young, you know. Another bonus point, another another five tries. They seem to be um, really picking things up. And Gloucester, what has happened to Gloucester? The turnaround of Wasps has been the the really eye catching thing in the last mm. three weeks. Um, I mean, you, you you'd know sort of what's what's happened there. And I guess what's happened is, is it just completely endorsed the decision that was made to to have a change at the top. Yeah, I think it was just showed that they were ready for a change. Clearly, there's a lot of players there who have um, and coaches that have suddenly felt, for whatever reason, that the shackles are off. And yeah, f- you know, three bonus point wins on the trot, and uh, 
it's incredible, really, because they've gone from 11th uh, a few weeks ago to now 5th, and they play the team Northampton, who are 4th in a couple of weeks. So other than Exeter, actually, everyone else is in the mix, really, yeah. in terms of there's still nine rounds of Premiership rugby to go. I guess the only team that are in free fall at the moment are Gloucester and, to a certain extent, Harlequins, but they've got a bit of mitigation because they've got a massive... Injury list. Lawrence, Lee, Lee Blackett, who is the, I don't know what you're calling him, the, the, he's, he's the main man at the moment, he, he's picking Jacob Umaga as his 10 ahead of Sopawanga, who played 15 at the weekend. Mm. I mean, is, is, is Umanga that outstanding? I mean, he, he, well, I think he a bit must... of both. A bit of both, really. Umanga has been outstanding, which is why Eddie Jones picked him in the squad ahead of a number of other Marcus Smith. players like Marcus Smith. But he's been, he's been very, very good. Equally, Sopoanga, for whatever reason, has been disappointing through loss of form and injury. But he played better at the weekend. He played better he? at the weekend. And, you know, what's maybe under Dai Young, for whatever reason, they lost their way a little bit, lost a few of their core players, like your Cipriani's and your Haskell's, who have been there a long time. Then they went, you know, for the likes of Brad Shields and Sopoanga, which haven't necessarily, for whatever reason, and I'm not blaming the individuals, worked out in the same way as either of they or the fans would want. So, but are they, those players, are they not coming... Well, in, over the last three weeks, have they not looked a bit... Yeah, they have. They have. I mean, Brad Shields played you know, magnificently well, and, and so has Sopoanga. So, you know, things are starting to come together there. You know, they've got a core of players, the likes of Jack Willis, again, outstanding at the weekend, and he'll be pushing the door again for Eddie Jones, I'm sure. So, uh, yeah, no, things are, are much happier at Wasps. As I said, Gloucester... Seem to be in free fall. Not quite sure what's going on there. And I guess Sale are the team that that, that, are, that are now Sale and Bristol. I think are the, are the big talking points really because I mean Bristol have got a seriously good team. No one's suggesting that they can win the title just yet. But when well, you look next at season, when you Bristol look at what's coming amazing, in, aren't they? when you look at the likes of uh, uh, of the two Saracen Malins is going there. Ben uh, Earl, Ben Earl, Rodrada, Carl uh, Sinclair, Carl Sinclair. I mean, you know, there's going to be some serious. I mean, with that, with that sort of cavalry, also comes selection issues and problems, and you've got to balance your squad and get the right. But they're nice problems to have. So, Pat Lamb um, doing an excellent job, and Sale, you know, under Steve Diamond. They've got the Premiership Cup final next week at the AJ Bell where they play Quinns. You've got to say on form, you'd fancy them. One thing you can say about Sale is they've got they've got this far, but but Diaga hasn't really made an impression yet, and Mark Wilson's only really like a new player. Yeah. I mean, those are two World Cup mm. finalists who are effectively fresh off the bench. Yeah, I have to say, I could see that I could see them winning the title this year. If not Exeter, I could see them winning or Bristol. Okay, just one question: Would it be good? What would it say about English rugby? Sale win win the Premiership? Having bought half of South Africa with them, well, it's not bought half of South Africa. They've 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 spent wisely. I think that's the key, isn't it? And uh, you know, if you have a season where where your international players are missing for a third of it, you know, unless you have a second a, sec, a deep squad like Saracens used to have, you can't compete. I feel it looks a little bit like we bought we we've, we've bought our title this season. If if that's the way it goes, but you know, everyone has to buy a squad from somewhere. But that's how it looks to me. Let's move on to our. Regular God or Goddess of the Week. Uh, Owen, you've obviously decided that Dave Rogers deserves to be God of the Week for that wonderful photo should, on the back of the explain podium. who Dave Rogers is? I mean, he has been on this podcast before, but he's the um, the, the, the best, uh, best known rugby photographer in, in the world. Uh, he's, he's certainly covered... He's, he's covered international and club rugby since the... What was his first Lions tour? I think he did 1980. No, actually, he, he, he did the 70s. He's that he old. He's really old. Yeah, he was. He's I remember really, telling stories really of having to, to literally post rolls of film back to the UK for them to be developed from 
Lions tours in New Zealand. So yeah. So anyway, he's got yeah, that, that amazing picture of the French pop, uh, French pop, French prop, smacking Jamie Ritchie on the nose for, for which he received his red card. It's a, so it's a well, it's not only a great picture, but it's the news picture of the day as well. So it sort of does two <coughs> jobs in one go. So well done, Dave. Alex, have you got any contenders for your goal um, of goddess well, of the week? I'm going to stay in the media too. I'm going to give my goal of the week to Alistair Reid, our colleague from the Times, Scottish rugby correspondent, purely for the the piece he wrote last week, giving an absolute savaging to the the executives who are running rugby um, and questioning their mo- their motives and questioning whether we we should be trusting them to make the right decisions and and when there are financial bonuses available to, to these executives should they be the ones entrusted to to uh, to make the right decisions for the future of rugby good call it's, it's about trust you know there, there are a few who are in a position where nobody trusts what they say at the moment the six nations have apparently done a u-turn on on pay tv it's, it's about trust and alistair wrote a, a brilliant piece which i thought summed up um exactly where we are uh, at the moment in the in the in the professional game so mm. alistair gets my nod my God of the Week, slightly closer to home and, and somewhat one-eyed, but Lee Blackett of Wasps um, has done an outstanding job for the last three weeks. Um, and whatever he's done or whatever he said seems to have worked and he's you know, breathed fire back into, uh, in, into a Wasps team that was ailing in 11th and are now up to the heady heights of 5th in the Gallagher Premiership. Can, can, I, can, I, chat, can I have a second nomination, just quickly? And it's not myself, right? <laughs> um, so so I, I'd also like to nominate Carl Sinclair. And the, the, the reason being, mm, one, one of the sort of the conversations during the Six Nations, and particularly around England, is, is around personalities and what is a good personality in the game and what isn't. And, and, and when it's good to talk and be entertaining or, or vent your opinion when it's not. And, and Carl Sinclair is... He, he's, Held back from getting involved in that, which has been frustrating because we in the rugby media think he's fantastic. But he came out after the game. Uh, it, there's a lovely piece uh, with him in the Times today that Alex wrote. But but he was talk he, he was talking about what rugby's done for him, how he's had to change the way he approaches life because he because he was a hothead last year, and he just represents himself really well. Mm. And he comes over like the sort of he, he comes over as the sort of rugby person that you want on a on any post around the country going this is what your kid could be like this is what rugby does uh, he just represents himself in the game really well uh, as well as uh, that's aside from all the stuff he does on the pitch which I think he's had a, a pretty damn good mm. Six Nations too so I've, I've come up with two nominations okay Dave you, you Dave Rogers you, you're relegated now it's Carl, Carl Sinclair <laughs> <laughs> my thanks to Owen Slot, Alex Lowe the Ruck is back next Monday make sure you never miss an episode subscribe now via Acast iTunes or your preferred podcast provider Thanks for listening to the Ruck Podcast. We're delighted to be teaming up with Funding Circle. And Funding Circle Ambassador Jamie George is with me. All right, Jamie? Hello. Hello. How are you? All good. Good, good. So away from Saracens and England duty, you are a business owner. And Funding Circle is a huge supporter of small and medium-sized UK businesses. How have they helped you? Yeah, so uh, I've got a business with a friend of mine. It's a physiotherapy business, effectively delivering the same level of care I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. And we've been looking to expand and grow the business as quickly as we can. And with the financial products that Funding Circle have done, we wouldn't have been able to do it without them. So Funding Circle has been supporting small businesses with access to the finance they need to grow since 2010. And they know that like rugby, running a business takes hard work, drive 
and a good team supporting you. If you want to invest in your business and take your team to the next level, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. Jamie, can you do the honours? Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. Six nations and six amazing chances to win an unforgettable adventure for you and five mates in a Six Nations European host city of your choice. To take part, enter online now at greenking.co.uk slash rugby. Six nations, six mates and six international rugby getaways worth £3,000. Scrum down and sign up to win at greenking.co.uk slash rugby and watch all the Six Nations action live at your local Green King pub. Terms and conditions apply. 18 plus drinkaware.co.uk. Okay.